Welcome to the Fields of Success podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, business owner, and rural Ontarian, Brian Hilt, to hear stories of how successful entrepreneurs navigated the challenges on the path to success, and get insights from business consultants and professional advisors about continuing to grow and operate a successful business. Here's your host, Brian Hilt. Welcome to the Fields of Success podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hilt. My guest today is Chris Van Kunit, the founder and owner of Apex Helicopters based out of Wingham, Ontario Airport. So thanks, Chris, for coming on the podcast. To start off, could you give us a brief overview of Apex Helicopters today, uh, what services you provide, and like how many helicopters you have flying, etc.? Well, thanks for having me on. Apex Helicopters, uh, we were founded in 2006, I believe. We have six helicopters today, three Robinson 44s, uh, two Bell 206 Jet Rangers, one uh, Bell 206 Long Ranger. Services we provide, um, primarily our, our work is in the agricultural forestry industry. We work for the forestry companies up north with their reforestation program. Um, doing aerial application, um, Southern Ontario, we do a lot of fungicide. I would say about 70%, 60 or 70% of our business is the agricultural industry in Southern Ontario. And then, you know, around 40% of our business is forestry in Northern Ontario. Very cool. So when you say Northern Ontario and forestry, for somebody who didn't actually grow up in Ontario, like how far north are we talking that you're going? Okay, so I mean northern Ontario, we're talking Timmins, uh, you know, Gogama, Foliet, Wawa. Um, so just north of Georgian Bay. Oh, towards, okay. Towards up, up towards Lake Superior and Thunder mm-hmm. Bay. And so that would be when you say aerial application in the forestry, that would be like a chemical application, but to the forestry industry. Yeah. So basically the forestry companies, they'll, they'll go in and cut a certain section of forest and then they have seven years to put the forest back to the way they found it. So we go in and after they've cut, we go in and do a burn down similar to what a farmer would do, you know, pre plant in Southern Ontario. Um, and we'll go take care of any vegetation that's in the block that may compete with the, the saplings. And then they have a, a group come in and plant, plant the specific you know, species of trees that they want to put back in the block. Uh, and then we'll go back in a year or so and um, what's called tend the, the crop. So if there's any competing vegetation, we'll fly it previous or, or before the, the season um, to examine, to, to know any particular part of the block that's got excessive competition with the seedlings. And then we'll go in and use a roundup to spray over top of the crop mm-hmm. to help out the seedlings. And then seven years from that point, we go back and, and we make sure that they're free to grow by themselves. And then we turn it back over to the ministry. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Hmm. Wow. Um, I could ask lots of questions about that, but I, I won't pick too deep for now. So I guess then that's kind of the high level of where Apex Helicopters is as far as uh, your primary two types of work then and such. 
I believe on your sign it says charter as well. Do you do you give rides that type of stuff, or is that more of a pain sometimes than it's worth? Yeah. So we we do do the odd ride here and there. It the problem with doing charter for us is that everybody wants to do you know chart flight charter in the summer months. You know, spring, summer, and fall. They want to see the fall leaves change color and. And in the summer when it's nice, they want to, you know, take somebody up for a birthday ride or an anniversary ride. But that's where we're busy. I mean, all of our machines are gone. There's not a machine at the hangar for, you know, June, July, August, September, and most of October. So we don't advertise for charter. Um, we, will, we will do it. If we, if we can fit it into our schedule, we will do something for somebody. But it's not our niche or our, our thing that we, we were into. Yeah. I, I understand that. I think, I, I think back to my days when I was flying at the airport and I remember the one morning we had somebody call and they wanted to do some photo flying and we had to take the door off the side door off the plane and blah, blah, blah. And it was quite a bit of hassle and we did it, but anyways, so I think I can understand that. Well, I was, I was told when I got, first got into this business, that if you can carve out a niche in the industry, just stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't, you know, we, we're we good at what we do and, and we, we try not to spread ourselves too thin. So if we're trying to do charter work and we're trying to do, you know, flight training and we're trying to do aerial app, then one of those three is going to suffer because we're not going to be able to do 100% the best job what we can in each one of those because they're going to overlap so that's why i've just chose to if somebody calls and my schedule is free i'll do it if i'm busy i just explain that i'm busy yep that makes sense well at one point when my wife and i got married i thought about calling and seeing about having a helicopter pick us up but I didn't. So anyways, I relieved you of that beforehand. Yeah, I just Cause did. that would have been in July. Yeah. I just did one of those actually in June and it just so happened that it was for one of the managers at the Hanover airport. His daughter was getting married at the airport and we just had a few days off. And mm-hmm. so we were able to schedule it in, but yeah. yeah, it ends up being usually more hassle than it's worth because when you think about it from a business standpoint, you know, for every hour that that aircraft flies. So if we're flying charter work and we're flying, say, the Jet Ranger, the charters are at $1,000 an hour. If I take that same flight hour and I do aerial application with it, the revenue it's generating is two to three times more than what I would be making if I was charter. So yeah, it makes more sense to, you know, stick with the, the aerial app. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So... That's an overview of where you're at today. Um, let's maybe back it up for just a few minutes. And can you give us a kind of an overview of how you got into the business? And, you know, you've grown the business over uh, quite a few years now. So kind of what got you into helicopters and how'd you get to where it's at today? Divine guidance. That's my, that's my ultimate, uh, I guess that's how I could explain how I got into this. Um, I, since I was two, three, four years old, my mom would probably tell you the, that I would just run back and forth from the front window of my house to the back window. 
just waiting for the helicopter from the Coast Guard to fly over, which was my neighbor that was a pilot for the Coast Guard. And so from a very young age, from anything that flew, would you know, I would, that's fixed wing, rotary wing, it didn't really matter. Although I had a predisposition, like I, I really, I thought helicopters were cool. And I didn't get into fixed wing because I knew I wouldn't get into the military. And if I was going to be a fixed wing pilot, I wanted to be going Mach 1. I would, didn't want to fly Cessna. I didn't, I just, I found it, I felt like it was boring to me. And that's just me. I'm not saying that anybody that flies a fixed wing Cessna is boring. I'm, that's my own personality. I, I wanted to be doing something different. And if I wasn't going Mach 1, then I didn't want to fly a rotary or fixed wing. So I, I really wanted to fly rotary wing. That's what I wanted to do as soon as I got out of high school. But I have a heart condition. So we didn't, we didn't talk about this whole part before when we started recording here today. But um, So I have a heart condition. And my mom, when I d- was deciding what I was going to do with my life, my mom said, you're never going to get a medical, an aviation medical. So out of high school, I, I, you know, I was kind of deflated. I was like, yeah, you're probably right. You know? So I went into the automotive industry. And I took a year of automotive engineering because I, I liked cars and I liked making them go fast. So I thought, you know, designing vehicles would be awesome. That wasn't for me. It was a lot of sitting in front of computer, uh, computer programming, and I thought it would be more hands-on. So I chose the automotive technician course in Toronto, and I, I went through the Ford program there for two years. I uh, worked at Ford Motor Company in Toronto for six years, did my apprenticeship, got my license. And I met my wife during that time. And this is where the the divine intervention come, comes in. I was in the Waterloo Public Library with my wife uh, looking at books, and I was in the transportation section as always. And there was a book there, and it was entitled, it was like a 1970s book, I, I can't remember even the title. It was something like, you want to be a helicopter pilot. And I was like, as a matter of fact, I do. And I pulled it off and, and I checked it out. And it was just this big, ugly, thick book, very dry. And I read it and I just ate up every word. I, I read it in, in, I think, a day. And my wife and I were reading in the living room one day. And she just looked up at me out of the, her book and she said, have you ever tried to get your medical? And I said, you know, no. I haven't tried, but I was told I wasn't going to get one. So and she said, well, you should try. So I made the appointment. I booked it and uh, passed with flying colors. So then it was, you know, how do we pay for this? And so briefly, that I guess that's how I, you know, got my foot in the door to aviation is I then took an intro flight and I was even more hooked and we came up with the money, the, I think it was near $60,000 to, to do my license. And we, we borrowed our, the money for that from our RSPs and started flight training. And I was, I was going to flight training at night or at least ground school Tuesdays and Thursday nights after my nine to five job. And then I was, I think doing two flights a week as well. And my instructor was nice enough to work around my nine to five schedule and sometimes he'd come in on Saturdays too to sign me out to go solo. I eventually 
got hired by because they knew my man, mechanical background. They the company that I was training with, flight training with, they hired me to um, go to Northern Ontario to be support and be like mechanical support up there for their spray program. So I took a leave of absence for the summer and I went up and to Northern Ontario and I did that. And when I came back, um, they hired me back on the next year to head their spray program. So now I was in charge of their spray program and my job was to make sure things ran smoothly and, you know, drum up new business and, um, look after the employees and find ground crew to, to fill in certain spots. And so I did that for two years and then I had the idea to, you know, expand their, their spray program with the help of a machine that I would buy, my wife and I would buy. And the owner wasn't too keen on the idea. So we turned around and we, we thought, okay, well maybe we should just do this for ourselves. And I had no idea what I was getting involved in zero. I didn't, I just started, I had a list of things I needed to do for Transport Canada and the ministry and all the rest of the people. And I just started knocking them, knocking off the list one by one. So there was, there was times where I was up at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning and I was driving an hour, uh, do my pre-flight in, in the dark. And then I would fly just before dark until, you know, for an hour. And then I would drive another hour back to my nine to five, do my nine to five job all day and then back it drive another hour back out to the machine and then fly till dark again and I did that for a year straight because you needed to if you you want to start an aerial application business or any aviation business you need to employ a chief pilot an ops manager and a PRM so I had I you know we didn't have the money so I had to qualify as all three so I had to do all the transport Canada exams and I had to meet all the requirements so it took me a full year to do that and you know even after it was all said and done, there were still so many hoops to jump through with Transport Canada, base inspections and interviews. And it was a pretty daunting task, but uh, we got through it. Um, my wife at that time, she was, uh, I was working my nine to five, but we were, we had to fuel bills. Like we were just, I was trying to get to that magic 500 number so I could qualify as chief pilot. And, you know, I was just going through a ton of fuel. And that feels not cheap. Uh, so, and we still had our normal bills to pay. So my wife started doing home daycare and she at one time had five or six kids, like two years old and under that she was looking after. Well, I was out, you know, living the millionaire's lifestyle, you know, flying at, in the morning, going for coffee with my parents in Perry Sound and coming back, going to work, just living the life. And she was changing diapers and so you're saying I should interview your wife sometime. <laughs> she, I'm sure she'd have her own version of the story too. <laughs> okay. But, you know, there was one point even when I came home at night and um, I just said, I can't do this. And she was, she's Dutch too, by the way. And she said, well, you don't have a choice. We're, we're, we're in too deep now. <laughs> so I continued, we, we continued on and eventually things we did get the business off the ground we had one machine uh the first year we didn't do enough revenue or sales to i i don't think even cover the cost of insurance and fuel but we eventually you know in this industry sometimes it's all who you know and where you're at and we met 
um, we met some key people that gave us an opportunity to do some work for them and which turned into, it just snowballed. I believe if, you know, you do a really good job, you're only in this industry, like a lot of other industries, you're only good as, as good as your last job that you've done. So my goal was just to treat every farm as if it was my own. So we just try to do the best job we could and be as friendly as we could. And it just, it's paid off over the years. I mean, from our first client has snowballed into every client that we have in Southern Ontario now. Uh, no client that I've got uh, to date has been become a, because of uh, advertising or marketing. It's been word of mouth from people that I've done work for before. And not to say that we're the best aerial application business out there. I'm not trying to paint that type of picture. I'm just saying we really strive to do a really good job and be, you know, professional at what we do. And that's where all of our work has come from. And then I had some, because of my first job in Northern Ontario, when I was, you know, just mechanical support for the company that hired me early on, I, I did have a few names in the forestry industry. So I searched those people out and, and I said, hey, how do I go about getting a contract with you guys? So about six or six years into our, the business, we started into the forestry end of things and we've got our first forestry contract. And then uh, that snowballed into two other forestry contracts and we've really kept those three contracts for the last seven years. So I guess that's a little bit of an overview of how I got into it. I mean, I've lot, left a lot of stuff out, but... Oh, that's, that's very interesting. The, I'll tell a little bit of a story, kind of one of those things you didn't expect to tell when you started recording, but uh, my experience in aviation has some similarities. So if the listeners don't know, I'm a pilot fixed wing and I flew mainly Pipers. So though you said Cessnas, I flew the small Pipers mainly. They're all the same uh, to me. Yeah. (laughs) The the wing's just on a different part of the plane, but other than that, they fly pretty much the same. But in my case, I'm slightly colorblind. And okay. so I looked up the re- regulations and I had to go through and jump through quite a few hoops, actually. I didn't just go to the medical and then they said, oh, you're actually okay. I had to go jump through hoops and take alternative color tests and this and that so that you can distinguish. Well, they got to make sure you can distinguish runway light colors and <clears throat> different approach lights. So I had to jump through a few hoops um, when I went to my medical and then now, every time I go back for a medical, I have a piece of paper to show that says I'm exempt from the color vision test. I've went through all the hoops. Don't do it again, basically. Oh, okay. So that's a little bit of my background in that. So now you're fly and specifically, I guess, when you're doing your application in southern Ontario, is it primary you work directly with the farmer or are most of your customers, I guess, the co-ops and the different crop advisors and such, that you're spraying for them who then is billing the farmer type of thing? So early on, the first, I would say, three years of business it was working for individual farmers would call me. And I would just go from farm to farm to farm. Now it's primarily we work for the co-op. So the co-op, we use their clientele and we send, you know, we send one bill instead of 200 bills now. So yeah, we have contracts with you know several different co-ops for a certain amount of acres. So they'll pre-book back in you know February, March. 
that they're anticipating on doing 10,000 acres or 5,000 acres, 20,000 acres. And then they, it's their responsibility to fulfill those acres. So they'll give us a deposit of a certain percentage to, to guarantee us the work. And then in turn, we're guaranteeing that we're going to be there and finish that work. Sure. So yeah, now, now most of our work is done um, for the co-op. Not to say that I don't know all my customers on the farm. I, I've sprayed the same fields probably for the last 10 years. So I've watched, I've watched little kids grow up from like two, two years old to, you know, now 12 years old. You know, because mm-hmm. they're always, you know, get all the little Dutch kids at the farms, the dairy farms and the pig farms, you know, when they're a little two-year-olds waving at you and now they're 12 years old, 12 year old. So yeah, I, 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 I try to stay in, you know, in contact with the farmer as much as I can. Yeah. Well, and I, <laughs> I chuckle. I'm, I'm smiling a lot, although the listeners can't see that. My experience was as a kid, we would see the what we call a crop duster, of course, go flying by, spray the fields, and it was legendary. That's Randy Vanderweide. We all know who that was. Yeah. And then fast forward like 15 years, and I worked for Randy. Found out he's actually he's not maybe a superhero. He's actually a real person. He just yeah. happens to fly a plane. And uh, but yeah, I can attest from every time those things came by, I was outside watching them. Kind of a funny story too. We were at my in-laws the other day down here on the Maitland River. They live just off the Maitland. And it was an uh, airplane actually was coming. And, of course, it entrances my son. So he looks and sees the airplane. And he thought the airplane was going to come over top of him. And he was all excited. And the airplane turned and went another direction. And he's three years old and broke down crying because he wanted the airplane to come over top of him. Yeah. So <laughs> I could imagine you entertain a lot of kids over the years and you get to see them grow and stuff. So that's pretty interesting. So now every business I think has its challenges. Um, Some are unique to certain types of businesses and stuff. It sounds like some of the challenges in yours, for one, you need to be, have so many titles. I look at your business card, you're the operations manager, the PRM, the owner, all those things. Um, What are some of the biggest challenges that you've had? And I'm not even just financially i'm not primarily asking about that i'm just saying there's always hurdles that come up whether it's with regulations whether it's with new compliance things um what hurdles have you had come up well regulations is a big one um the green movement uh has been huge the last you know especially in the last three years five to three to five years um we've seen some new regulations come out which is put, I don't want to say more stress, but a, a larger workload on aerial application businesses. There's a lot more permitted, you know, products that require permits to be sprayed. So there's a lot more work that's being done to do the same job. Now that's one kind of one of aspects. Um, the other would be personnel. You know, I'm going to say I have this, I'm a pilot not a, uh, you know, I didn't take a course on how to deal with uh, multiple employees. So finding the right employee has been hard uh, with the same vision, the same goals, you know, roughly as I do, you know, of quality of work. And I'm not talking financial goals. I'm talking about, you know, doing quality work 
Um, so that in the last five years, it's been very difficult for us to find employees that want to, because most of our pilots, actually every one of our pilots that we've had come through the door, uh, I've taken from a hundred hours and put them through the program and got them into the seat to start spraying and then they'll stay and get their hours and, you know, move on to bigger and better things. But there's the, the kids that are, or I shouldn't say kids, but the young adults that are coming out of flight schools now, I feel like they have a preconceived notion of what the industry is like. And we're having a hard time getting our base ground crew uh, requirements filled. So we need, you know, up to eight to 10 ground crew to drive trucks and trailers around um, for the pilots every season. And we're getting these students right out of flight school that they don't want to do that. If you don't have a flying job for them, they don't want to work. They don't want to push a broom. Where when I went through it, and I was making really, really good money, and I took a leave of absence from my job to go make peanuts at the at the aviation place that I was started at, just to push a broom and to help the guys change engines and just do whatever I could. Um, and I and yeah, I took a leave of absence to do that. And now you're just, you, you see this, maybe it's a generation thing that just expect to go right from flight school into the machine and they don't want to do any in between, nothing. So <laughs> that's been a big struggle for us. So we've actually had to start calling the schools. Usually we have 50 resumes come across my desk through the winter time. In the last three to five years, it's slowly dwindled away to nothing Whereas we have to call, you know, North Bay, the two schools up there in Kitchener, Waterloo, and say, hey, do you guys get any mm-hmm. guys that want a ground crew job? So that's been that's been hard for us. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's there's several other things, too. But yeah. So when you I can imagine that that would be tough. Uh, once again, I reflect back on kind of my start in the business and it was cleaning oil off the bellies of planes. And um, but hey, it was awesome. So has it been something that you've been unable to actually get people that you just haven't been able to get the people you need or have you been able to do it yet? It's just, it's a chore and a half to actually get it done. Well, it's been a chore. There's no, yeah, it's been a chore. Mm-hmm. This year would be, was our closest time to not having enough people to fill our spots. You know, it came down to the last week before we were ready to head out to our busy season. And it's, there's no sense of loyalty these days either, I find. So we sign, you know, contracts with each one of our employees saying, we're going to employ you for this, this length of time, and this is what you're going to get paid. And we sign it, and they sign it. And, and we have people that will call us, you know, two weeks before we're ready to go out. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I forgot to tell you, I, you know, I, have a, I have another job at West with another company. You know, you should probably tell us that. Yeah, yeah, I'm no kidding. I mean, because it's hard. It's hard for us because some of these. I mean, we have DZ trucks, so you can't just hire anybody, and you can't even get somebody through a DZ, you know, licensing program in a week or two. It takes time. So, yeah, it's that's been difficult, and mm. you know, there's several other aspects of the business that have been difficult. I mean, it's not easy, but. You, I didn't get into this business because it was easy. I got into this business because I love to fly. That was it. Yeah. I didn't want to make a million dollars. That wasn't my goal. It wasn't my goal to own my own machine even. That was an 
you know, I, I won't say an accident, but that was not my goal. My goal was just to fly. And I, I love to fly. So, and so today as it sits, are you doing a lot of flying now? Or are you, are you able to still fly a lot or is the business require you to be, you know, in the office most of the time? Let me tell you. The day that I have to sit behind, the day that this business requires me to not go out and fly is the day I retire. At this point, at, at this point, I, I do a lot of paperwork and there's no way around it with the titles that I have. I have responsibilities, but I bring those responsibilities on the road with me. I bring my laptop with me. I bring my phone I bring my printer even and my scanner and label maker and files. I bring it all with me and I do my office job in the middle of the bush in Northern Ontario or in a trailer in Southern Ontario. So yes, I, I have a lot of paperwork and I could be at my desk all the time. And sometimes it would be a good idea if I was at my desk more, but I, I, like I said, I didn't get into this business to be chained to my desk. And once I do, I will retire. Very good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I sometimes, I reflecting back once again on my experiences and, and my boss is awesome. He's the Czech airman and all the different airplanes that we had that we flew on charters and this and that. And then he flew a lot of crop dusting yet. And He'd had to give up, I think, a lot of the charter flying, but I don't think he was going to give up the crop dusting. That's the stick and rudder flying yet. You know, it's not on autopilot, and he, he loved that type of flying. So very interesting. So you've alluded to that you all your pilots, you basically started from 100 hours, and they worked uh, the ground crew, and then they worked up to flying. Can you maybe just give a brief idea of, so... You hire somebody out of flight school. What's the typical path for them or what would it typically be or should it be? Maybe it's a better question. Two years is is roughly what you have to, you know, what you're looking at by the time you get hired with us. I'm not speaking for other companies because I know there's some real nightmare stories out there where guys have been hired as ground crew and stayed there for six, seven years and not ever got inside of the machine. But for us, typically two years mm -hmm. and we hire you basically as ground crew mix and loader drive a truck or drive a camper around in a pickup truck or go get fuel or and you do that for two years and you know then the the third year you know i don't make any promises but usually the third year will get your ppc or your check ride done your company check ride done your transport canada we'll do your spray training so that you're ready to go. And if we do have a spot for you, we've started a new program this year, kind of like an apprenticeship program, which is pretty cool. And we're pretty, I'm pretty pumped about it. Um, and it's really worked well the first year where we take two ground crew that worked the, the previous two years and we pair them together. And so they do one day on one day off. So they'll do ground crew for the one pilot one day. And then them themselves are ground crew the next day. So they're back and forth for the first year. So, because what we found in the past is the first year in this industry is pretty hard on a pilot, especially a new pilot. 
with fatigue and mental stress and because you're, you know, in Southern Ontario at six o'clock in the morning, you're DI in your machine, maybe even five, and you're not shutting that machine down until nine o'clock at night. And then you've got to wash it and clean your nozzles and, and get, mm-hmm. you know, dinner and, and go to bed and, and do it again and again and again. So this way it's given the pilots a day on day off to be able to just, you know, mix a mode for the other pilot, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I and think it, back. I remember when one of my coworkers started flying, I never did actually fly the um, aircraft spraying, but I remember when he started flying, no air conditioning in a brave fixed wing. And there were multiple times where I remember partway through the day, he would basically go in the office and take a nap for a bit because it just wears on you up and down and you're busy all day long and you're up early and you're to bed late. And yeah, it's, I can, I think that's fantastic what it's, it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know if Transport Canada is listening, but uh, it's all done legally. But I'm the same way. I will, I will, I think as I'm getting older, I used to be able to, and I think there might have been some Red Bull involved there too when I was younger, but I used to be able to go from six o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night and basically get out of the machine to go to the washroom and jump back in and, and go. And now I find, you know, that 12 o'clock to two o'clock, um, I need a break and sometimes I'll get one of my ground crew, which is a qualified helicopter pilot to sit behind the machine uh, while it's running and just sit there for half an hour and I'll go and lay down because yeah, it is, it is pretty taxing on the, it's a lot of mental, mm-hmm. not so much physical. And so they love it too because they can log those time that time sure. because the blades are spinning. So they, it's a win. I was thinking that. Yeah. See, that's a typical pilot thought, right? Yeah. You're thinking, oh, that's time. Yeah. That's time. Building. The tack's running. I'm good. Yeah. And it's turbine time, even better. Yeah. So it's worth double, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I. But I, you know, that's what I do is I typically ha- try to have an hour break, and I, we don't shut. I try not to shut down the the turbine just because it's hard on the turbine to shut it down and start it up, especially in the heat. So it's easier just to leave it running for half an hour while you have a nap. But to go back to your question about guys getting into the industry and typical, maybe I'll answer a question that you didn't ask. Maybe I'll ask the question, you know, what it's like for people to get into the industry. Is this a good time to get into the industry? That's what I get a lot of, a lot of questions. Is this a good time to get in the industry? And from the flight schools, you'll hear, I heard back when I got in, it was probably the worst time to get into the industry, that this is the best time to get into the industry. There's no better time mm-hmm. to give me your money and it will let you fly one of our machines for 100 hours. It's the best time. The, the fact of the matter is, who knows? I mean, the mining and exploration side of rotor wing has kind of gone downhill uh, over the last couple of years. So there's not a... There's not a lot in the mining sector um, going on. So is this the best time? I don't know. The, the best time is whatever time you want to get into it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're serious about getting into the industry, the best time's now or whenever you decide. Because you, if you're that keen on doing this, if you're that motivated, you'll have no problem finding a job. And I say that to people who really have the motivation and the love and the passion for flying those people will have no problem getting jobs in the industry. It's, I always ask the, the question, there's one of, when I'm doing interviews with, with uh, potential employees that have their license, I always ask them the question, this is the first question I ask usually, is 
what got you into this industry? Like, well, you know, if somebody says to me, well, I was out snowboarding in Banff buds and, and, you know, I saw a helicopter flying overhead and it was epic. Um, you know, that tells me where their focus is at. Their focus is at their, the thought of flying is cool. It's like the top gun, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> mentality. Like, <laughs> goodness gracious. Yeah. Great balls of fire. Yeah, I'm going to, the wind blowing through your hair and the helmet and you're just going to look cool. The chicks are going to dig it. And then, you know, you could tell because the other, you know, the other guys, are saying, I've liked flying ever since I was young. And so yeah. those people will have, uh, in my opinion, coming from an employer's point of view, a, a better chance. I've seen it for 13 years so far. The people that have, have, have just that passion or that they don't really care how they get in their foot in the door. They just want a foot in the door. Those type of people are the ones that it's, yeah, it's the best time to get into the industries right now because they're going to have no problem. They'll find their way. Their personality is going to point them into the right direction. They're going to meet the people and shake the hands. The people that, I don't really know what I want to do with my life, but helicopters kind of look cool. They're going to drop it. That is just as easy as I picked it up. Yeah. If you you know what I, I think I know what you mean. You have to have the, you have to have the love of flying and the, ability to see the end goal because I think it's safe to say in almost any any area at least in my experience of aviation which is different than yours of course is you got to start off you might not want to teach people to fly but you might have to teach people to get hours or you might have to fly boxes around in the middle of the night yeah you you might have to clean the belly of the airplane just as what it is and uh, if you really want to fly you'll do it but you and know, it's fun to do. Like I yeah. loved loading planes. And actually when you're telling me this, you're having trouble. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have flexible hours. Can I load helicopters part time? Because to me, it was like what I imagine it is for pit crews in a race. When those things came in, we didn't shut them down. You loaded them. Boom, boom, boom out. Here you your maps out. Here you go. It was a rush. And I was there at the airport at like 5 a.m., prep the planes, get them ready, get them fueled, get the maps, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't leave till after dark. And it was awesome. <laughs> and I would go back and do it again. Yeah. And, and that's the difference between somebody who really loves to fly and has a passion. You know, when you're scrubbing those butt, bug guts off the wings, you're like, man, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've made it. You know, that's what you're thinking in your head because you're loving it. And that's how I was. I was, you know, washing the windshields, helping guys change engines. I was just sweeping the floor and thinking, you know, I get to be in an airport. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember we used to have when the planes would start coming in with a lot of green on the wings. Yeah. And people who have never washed bugs won't understand this probably. But when there was normal bugs, you know, the mosquitoes and stuff were easy. But when they started being green, we knew the aphids were there and that meant we were going to get a spray. Yeah. So we all started getting excited when we started getting green bugs on the wings. Yeah. Well, I could ask a lot of questions. Uh, for sake of time, I took quite a few notes. But I guess for sake of time, I'm going to ask a few and maybe just answer them, I guess, briefly. Um, one of them, to give people an idea of a few things that I think there's under misunderstandings about maybe in the industry. Um, but first off, you fly, and I assume at least that your uh, fields are directed by GPS nowadays. Yes. So, like, how accurate is that GPS? Um, I know, at least in my experience doing fixed wing, I was amazed at how accurate they are going 170 clicks across the field, but yet 
plus or minus negligible amount. It's better than I am. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, the GPSs that are coming out nowadays are like, you know, you're, I, I wouldn't be able to quote, but I'm like, I would be saying, I would be thinking in inches, not feet. Yeah. I think, and I don't, I couldn't quote either, but it seems to me that the indicator, there were seven dots. And I think if you were a full scale deflection off to one side or the other, it was off a matter of like two feet. Yeah. at the time. And uh, so I guess I just say that because sometimes people have the perception of, you know, you may be willy nilly flying, but you're just as accurate as you could be driving a tractor on the ground. And uh, I think that's pretty amazing. How many, uh, and I guess this is one, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this ahead of time, not to make you nervous, but nope. like to give an idea, how many acres do you spray a year? Like, because we think in terms, most of us think in terms of a farm and a farm is a huge farm if it's a thousand or 2000 acres. So like how many acres do you cover in a year typically? Between 40 and 60,000. Yeah. Yeah. In Southern Ontario and then in Northern Ontario, it's about 10,000 hectares, which is two and a half times an acre. Yeah. Do the math somewhere in there. That's where I bring up Google and start putting in the Google things. It's about two and a half times. Yeah. Very good. I guess my, my last Question I'm going to roll into two and you can answer them how you wish. First off, the business has grown. Sometimes businesses reach a point where they don't necessarily desire growth anymore because it would mean you have to hire somebody to take your place or in my in my business often, okay, now I got I can't be an advisor anymore. I have to start hiring more advisors. So I guess the first part of the question is, do you desire to grow the business a lot um, more? If so, kind of what you see for that. And then the final question would be any advice for people aspiring to get not only into your field of business, but into business as a whole or any, any words of wisdom that you have there. So what was the first question? I can't, sorry. <laughs> the first question that was, was a long question. It was, and I, it kind of was unfair to you because I really asked two entirely separate questions, yeah. but uh, the first one was, you know, do you, where do you see the future going? Do you want to add more machines okay, and yeah. continue to grow? I got you. Um, so we're we are at that plat- plateau phase right now. So we've we've reached a six machine, six helicopters. Uh, you know, paid off a bunch of debt, and we're kind of at plateauing, self plateauing. I guess we've just taken a couple of years where we're just doing the same thing. You know, it's kind of a cookie cutter thing where we're. We're just the next year we're going to do the exact same thing. We're not going to add more trucks. We're not going to add more machines. We keep the same contracts. We're not going to try to expand. And that's just some breathing room. And that was kind of a suggestion that our financial advisor suggested that, you know, it's all this growth early on. It's not to plateau, but just to slow things down and get some breathing room, pay off some debt. And then, you know, restructure and, and plan on where your next 10 years is, are going to go. And, you know, if it's anything like the last 10 years, it's probably going to go in the opposite direction of the way, <laughs> the way I was planning to go. So are we going to grow Apex further? Absolutely. Um, we're this year, uh, right now, we're, you know, I don't want to let any secrets out of the bag, but we're, we're working on two other niche ideas and um, one is involving charter scheduled charter uh, and that's all i'll say about that and the other one uh, is 
and the only thing I'll say about this is heli skiing. So we are. I have some. I have some ideas that I, I've had for a long time that I would like to see, you know, undertaken. But I wanted to be smart about things and and not try to do everything. Put the the right personnel in the right places. Offload a little bit of work on somebody else from my standpoint. And finding somebody to fulfill. We did have like a spray ops manager, somebody that was taking care of all the spray operations. So he he's left to do some mission work, full-time mission work out east, which is unfortunate to me. But to find somebody to fill his role is going to be key on where the next few years go. So are we going to grow? Absolutely. I, I see us... I, I see us growing in the next few years, uh, Lord willing, that is. And the second part of your question was advice to small business or mm-hmm. potential entrepreneurs, uh, whether it be this industry or another industry, just keep going. If you have an idea, you could do all of the, the planning that you want. And, I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I think it's a great idea to do a business plan. And to really put things on paper because, you know, by the time you're done, maybe you've answered a lot of the questions or said, you know, this isn't going to work. But when I did my business plan, my business plan didn't even go half the way that I projected it to go to. So if you have an idea and you really believe in it and and you've got the drive and the motivation, just go do it. And it's going to be hard. I think there's a famous quote. You can look it up on YouTube. I go to it often. Bill Gates and... and, um, I'm trying to think of his name. Steve Jobs are talking together. And, you know, the interviewer asks the two of them, what's their key to success? And Steve Jobs said, you have to love what you do. And if you don't love what you do, you quit. Because any normal, rational-minded person would quit. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard. It's really hard. So it's going to get hard. It's going to be very hard. But I think if you're passionate about what you want to do or what you want to accomplish, I think, you know, I suggest go go for it. Yeah. I think that's quite sage advice. Um, The quote that's going through the back of my head while you're saying that is probably similar to what they said, but um, you know, it's something along the lines of, you know, if you're doing what you love, then you'll never work a day in your life. Something along those lines and then I think there's also, I think Zig Ziglar said something about, you know, you can have whatever you want in life if you help enough pe- other people get what they want. Um, but I think, you know, when you like what you're doing, um, kind of like it sounds like as if what happened in your case, you love flying and you made a business out of it. I made and my you own, learn as you go. Yeah, I made my own job where there was no job. Yep. So, so. Fantastic. Well, I could pick your brain a lot more. I'm not going to at this point because for sake of time, but uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. I think the listeners will enjoy learning some about your business. And uh, I'll certainly in the show notes put a link to that YouTube video. And I'll also put a link to your website. And if uh, anybody has any questions or anything, or if there's any prospective employees that are listening to this and get excited about it, um, certainly then they can reach out to you via that. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Fields of Success podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please take a moment to share it with your friends and provide a review. As well, if you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please email Brian at podcast at 
seedtimeandharvestwc.ca. That's podcast at seedtimeandharvestwc.ca. If you would like further information about Brian's firm, Seed Time and Harvest Wealth Council of Manulife Securities Incorporated, please check out the website at www.seedtimeandharvestwc.ca. There you can find more information, schedule a meeting, and check out the notes from this podcast episode. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.